Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek, University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 89 of Real Hawk Talk. This is the special 2019 Seahawks season recap uh, show. We're going to go over all the things that were great and terrible and odd and everything in between um, over the course of the show. And we will also spend a little bit of time, obviously, recapping uh, the game that ended this season and, and what we thought, what we took away from that game. Um, but the majority of the show we're going to spend talking about uh, the season that was. And then depending on how loquacious we are, uh, we are going to spend a little bit of time talking about where we go from here and um, a little bit about some priorities for, for the off season. So lots to cover. It's going to be a lot of fun. And on that note, let me welcome in uh, the fellas. We've got uh, Evan Hill. Uh, and Evan, remind me, what's your latest handle? Evan in SEA. 49ers fans have calmed down on me. So it's going to stay that while, stay that way for a bit, hopefully. So, so like you're one of those people that when you arrive somewhere, you say like you're in Seattle. It's like, I am in you, Seattle. So you're Evan in C perfect exactly okay. even though you're not in seattle no comment <laughs> okay <laughs> point taken uh and then uh obviously we'll we'll welcome in our canadian buddy uh at real jeff simmons on twitter how you doing jeff i'm doing well man i'm doing well i was I'm surprised how many messages i got the last like two three days just asking us where the show was 
And especially Sunday when I, I had like texts from guys I know in Toronto who follow the Seahawks, who I had no idea watched our show. I got a couple like texts and Facebook messages just saying like, we need like Seahawks therapy. Why haven't you guys gone yet? I said, we were all mad. They didn't get it. So I didn't know we had that kind of anger. We got to, we got to touch on that point real quick. I do apologize because I typically host the post game show. We chose not to do it obviously because the Seahawks lost the rationale behind that is sometimes, you know, we're very emotional fans like all the time, at least I am. Um, but sometimes you have to think through and rationalize what you're going to say before you say it. And I think at least for me, Sunday was one of those moments where if we had jumped on the air, I probably would have said things I either regretted or were not fully accurate, you know, reflective of my emotions or feelings. But that's so, what people want to hear, Evan. That's no, what, no, yeah. I get it, but it probably would have gotten me fired from all my jobs. Yeah. <laughs> you realize how much frozen yogurt I had eaten that night by the time it would have been time to go on that show. It was it wasn't pretty. I there I, were a few of us who wanted to do the show that night. No, no names. Nobody can, you know, anybody can start the show. We, we, we each got to do some training. Hey, look at this, Jeff. Jeff. Hey, how do I do this? <laughs> You're going to have to get you squared away, dude. Um, uh, I did not yet bring in the fourth member of our crew, uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 on Twitter. Nathan, how are you, my friend? Um, snowed in, but otherwise good. Yeah. Really? I mean, mildly snowed in. I could okay. probably leave if I really wanted to, but <laughs> how are you feeling? You were uh, you were fighting off some some illness there for a while. You 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 healed up? Uh, yeah, pretty much all better now. Uh, the Eagles game was kind of a blur. I had to go back and rewatch it because I was like in and out of a fever induced coma for most of it. So, uh, but yeah, no, all better. Uh, back up and running. All right, good good stuff. So. Um, you know, maybe it makes sense for one of you to take point on going over the Green Bay game. Cause honestly, I've flushed it from my brain. Like season's over. I'm more in like, I'm already in off season mode. I've got a whole off season plan in mind for the Seahawks and I can't wait to get into it, but we won't get too into detail on that tonight. So where do you guys want to start on the Green Bay game? You know, Evan, Jeff, you know, anything you got, I think you guys have stronger takes there. Um, what, what's on your mind? Yeah, I'll kick us off. I'm really, really, really tired of losing the exact same way in the playoffs going on five, six years running. I don't know who posted on Twitter. I think it was Zach Whitman or maybe Ben Baldwin who posted the Seahawks like first and second half scoring splits um, for and opponent scoring of the last five or six years or whatever the Seahawks are getting outscored by like 120 plus to like 19 or something give or take like 10 points that was like the general um the general conclusion was that the Seahawks were getting absolutely mauled in the first half and would eventually somehow find their way back into the game late into the second half often the fourth quarter the the quarter that Pete Carroll says Everyone can win a football game in. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm really, really, really tired of losing in the exact same way. It's exhausting. Um, it's exhausting as a fan. It's, I, this is going to sound weird, but I almost wish 
we had actually no i don't almost wish this i wish we would have gotten blown out for me emotionally that would have been easier for me to handle seriously the fact that they somehow crept back into that game russell wilson you know leading two or three heroic drives to finally get points on the board it it was so predictable. It was so predictable. I, I, I know Lambo is a tough place to play, but they fell down what? Like 21 to three at half or something like that. 17 to three. I don't remember what it was, 21 but three. 21, three at half complete garbage. First half for the Seahawks. Devonte Adams was completely abusing Trey flowers. Our defense was getting murdered. Aaron Rodgers was looking like Aaron Rodgers of 2014, 2015. I'm, I, I, I could talk a lot about a lot about a lot of things and why I'm frustrated with this, with this game specifically, but it's just, this game is classic Seahawks. It really is. And I'm just exhausted and tired of losing the same way. Jeff. I get what Evan's saying and it's definitely frustrating. My take was a little different and I was frustrated for different reasons. And all year we've said, I've said this so many times. I wish everyone could see our group chat for the record. Our group chat is so interesting. It's good that everyone can't see our group chat. (laughs) I know, but like, it's pretty interesting. But all year I've been kind of saying to you guys, I talked about it and I said during the game and it was just, it was clear to me watching them, especially when they were going down. It just struck me that the Seahawks don't have enough talent and don't have enough good players. And I've said it all year that their defense was built poorly, that if you took one piece out, it's called like the Jenga piece of roster building, they were in trouble. And there was just so many evidence to me where just it just showed up in the game. Just like the fact that how bad they looked defensively against the run, for example, by losing Al Woods. And they couldn't stop Aaron Jones like in the red zone at all. And there's just so many examples of that, that the game comes down to Delano Hill and Malik Turner. And that kind of just sums up the season to me that, all year Russell's just kind of played over his head and not over his head. He's played, he's done an incredible job carrying this group over and a defense that's been pretty terrible and all the defense ranked like under 27th in every important category other than takeaways, which is probably like the least sustainable category. And then get a takeaway their final four games and they kind of just bit the piper and their, their lack of talent on defense, their lack of third receiver, they ran out of depth options on the offensive line and at running back, and that kind of just bit them. What frustrated me about that game more so than what frustrated Evan is just, just basic coaching strategy. I know there's a big Pete conversation, and my view of it's a little different than everyone's. To me, it's just not knowing your personnel and not knowing what your weaknesses are. And the fact that, like, to me, the frustrated the most about the game was that Devontae Adams was just not double covered almost at all. And if you look to the Packers, they had one receiving option. That's really been their whole offense. And the fact that he was matched up on flowers a lot and he just like, I don't understand what their approach was and how to stop Green Bay. It almost seemed like they just ran basic schemes and they did nothing. And objectively, the last two plays of the game, I'm still mad about this. I just don't understand what their approach was with Delano Hill, what their approach was the Clowney, what their approach was with McDougal as a blitzer. There's just a lot of little things that frustrate me. In the end, they probably would have lost to San Francisco anyway, so I'm not that rattled about it. But it's just the basic coaching stuff and just not knowing your personnel and not realizing your run game sucks and not realizing your defense sucks, which goes into that punt decision. That's the stuff I just can't quite wrap my head around. 
Can I jump in real quick and ask you a question, Jeff? Is that okay? Yeah. I, I want to get your guys' take on this. And Brian, I know you don't really want to talk about the game, but I want to hear your take on this for the record. Was punting with two and a half minutes to go the correct decision in that moment? Not in hindsight. I don't, I don't, I don't, let's pretend that didn't happen. Rewind back to that moment. Is punting the correct decision, knowing what the Packers offense has done to the Seahawks defense all game long, knowing what Russell Wilson has been doing in the second half, is punting in that moment the correct decision? Jeff, I want to start with you. Me, no, I don't think so. And I understand why they did punt and they did have three third and long situations to try to stop them. But again, knowing your personnel, knowing your, coverage isn't very good knowing your pass rush isn't very good and knowing your best chance of winning is Russell I would take Russell over their defense making a stop and that's kind of what I'm saying in different situations maybe the variables are different but in that situation I think you have to go for it 100 times at 100. Brian? That's the thing like I think people make it so black and white it is not 100 times at 100 thing for me at all like I, I'm I'm like 60 out of 100 I would go for it in that situation for sure like what's what's your argument for not going for it like is your do you really trust the defense like to get a third down stop do I trust the defense to get a third down stop more than I trust the offense to pick up a fourth and 11 is that what you're asking yes that's the question though that's that's the debate yeah, I mean, no, I mean, that's why that's why I end up, you know, I'm on the side of going for it. But to me, it just doesn't stick out as this major factor, like, make oh, no, it's such a small reason. To me, it was much more like Malik Turner dropping that pass. It's a way bigger deal. And and we always turn to like these decisions, because it feels like it's under our control. And that that was making fourth and 11. What if that same pass goes to Malik Turner, he drops it again, like, I mean, and by the way, the defense actually did their jobs multiple times getting to third and long, and then they couldn't freaking pull it off. And that's so, what's frustrating. They went with different formations after they did make stops. I get it. I get it. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time. I'm not going to sit here and defend the defense. I haven't defended the defense all year, and, and I'm not going to defend the defensive game plan and those pieces. I think it's crazy how much Devonta Adams was singled up, but I honestly – I, I just think fans in general, we, we get way too simplistic about that stuff. Like, oh, they should have done this specific things to Devontae Adams in all cases. Well, when has Shaquille Griffin traveled with a receiver all year? When has that happened? He Ever. did it last week. He did it last week? He traveled around with Ertz, yeah, a little bit. All right. I mean, it's it's not, it's not the way they normally operate. And, um, you know... Offense generally dictates. And even then, like, uh, you know, I, I think that the Seahawks had some play calls. For all we know, the the dual Griffin sack that they called, no one's saying, hey, that was a great play call. Um, that could have been something they similarly thought they could get on one of these other plays. The, the pressure where Amadi was ending up guarding Adams. You know, who knows? If that had worked, would everyone be saying, God, the defense was so stupid. And they didn't double Adams. No, the pressure didn't work. So, I just think it's more complex. I know that that's not the hot take everybody wants and everybody's in the mood to fire everybody. No, so and, and, and I, I don't disagree with that. And I, just while you mentioned Malik Turner's name, I think he is somebody I even, of course, criticized him heavily in the moment just due to emotions and everything like that. But I've seen a lot of 
trashed on his way over the past 24, 48 hours. Let's just set the record straight. Yes, Malik Turner should have caught that football, but absolutely not is Malik Turner the reason they lost that football game. Malik Turner is like number 30 on the number of issues that they lost that football game. Malik Turner probably shouldn't have even been in that situation in the first place. Um, he's a great number four I, receiver. I agree with you on that. I think I think he's one of the definitely one of the top ten reasons they lost that game. I mean, I think if he catches that ball, I think there's a pretty good chance that they win the game. Um, you know, I'm not sure of it, but they were cooking on offense, and that was the second play in a row on that drive. Generally, the way drives work is if you start out and you're starting to get success, they what do they do, Nathan? They build momentum, and they you know one play builds on top of the other, and teams start to to feel like they're moving down the field. So I think, I think it was a big play. I, I wouldn't minimize it. Um, is it bigger than the fact that <laughs> they started off down 21 to three? No. Is it bigger than the fact that the defense could, you know, couldn't stop a pretty mediocre offense? No. Same time. I think Aaron Rodgers. if you talk to green Bay folks, they say that was one of his best games of the year. And I think if you look at some of those throws, we can, we can complain all we want about the defense. And I do. And people are saying, why'd you put Ugo Amadi on Devonte Adams? Well, they called a specific defense that had a slot corner playing a specific role. And if, if Devonte Adams happened to line up against them, they weren't going to switch it at that point. And guess what? It took a freaking amazing throw from Aaron Rodgers. That was a gorgeous throw to make that play. Even if you had had amazing coverage, maybe even double coverage on Adams, that still might've gotten completed. So I think Aaron Rodgers, unfortunately, did not look like the Aaron Rodgers we saw in week 17 where he's missing everybody left and right. He was more like Aaron Rodgers from the past. So I don't know. I, I, I'm more with Jeff in the general sense of if I go position by position between Green Bay and Seattle, there's not that many positions where I'd take the Seattle player over the Green Bay player. I just think the Seattle team, I think we've got a hero in Russell Wilson you got a couple strong options, but for the most part, this team needs to uh, a significant talent infusion, um, you know, and, and, and turnover. And I think that there's some changes that they need to make, but, but uh, on terms of, of how they scheme and how they approach it. But um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I saw it. See, and that's, uh, I mean, I can, I'm kind of, I'll agree with a lot of what's been said here so far, but like the one thing that I'm just not bought in on is the idea that Seattle was at some massive talent disadvantage. Like, and, <clears throat> I mean, I think Seattle's depth was pretty poor this year, but, you know, Green Bay is out there playing with Geronimo Allison and Alan Lazard and at receiver and Montrevious Adams at defensive line. Like, you know, Blake Martinez playing linebacker. This is not some juggernaut team that they ran up against and were just out talented on, right? And Devontae Adams is uh, is great, but so is Tyler Lockett. And DK is, you know, a real threat. Like, this team is not devoid of talent or devoid of, you know, playmakers. I think I would give Green Bay the edge, but I don't think this is one where you just look and say, ah, oh, you know, they just got out talented. They just ran up against a better team. Uh, that I, I, I have a hard time with. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know how like productive it is, but I mean, I would take 
probably two of of Green Bay's defensive linemen over any of the the Seahawks defensive linemen and the and the like Jadavian Clowney healthy would be different. Jadavian Clowney in the state he was. I don't know if I would take him over Zadarius Smith or you know, I think Kenny Clark is better than any of the defensive tackles the Seahawks have this year. I think that certainly the running back position, um, which I know how important that is to Nathan, it was, you know, in the in the edge for for Green Bay. Offensive line. offensive line. I think almost every position I would take the the Green Bay line over although they they played um you know what's his name Beldir I think um yeah. uh this game because Bulaga was was injured secondary I would take you know the corners um you know over most of the Seahawks corners so I, I agree it's it's not like it's not like San Francisco versus Seattle talent wise but I think if you look and if you look I mean I think I haven't looked yet, but I would guess if you looked at PFF from an overall talent grading system, I would expect that Green Bay is ahead of Seattle in, in terms of overall talent grades. That's just and I don't say. just mean when I say at the top end guys. If you look at some of the guys that Seattle was trotting out versus like some of the teams I watched before, the day before with Baltimore and San Francisco, even Tennessee to an extent. Tennessee's a pretty deep team. Like Brandon Jackson, I, I bring him up all the time. I feel bad, like sort of what Evan was saying with Malik Turner. Brandon Jackson played 34 snaps or 31 snaps in that game. Like Brandon Jackson wouldn't be playing on any other playoff team. hundred percent. And, and, look, and Lano Hill. Lano Hill. He only played seven snaps, but two of those third down plays were, he was directly responsible for both of them. And he wouldn't be on the field for any of these teams. And Marshawn Lynch and Phil Haynes played a pretty good game actually, but Joey Hunt on a broken leg. And there's just a lot of spots on the team where they're just, they're just pretty bad. And Joey Hunt ended that game with a 22.2 offensive grade for pro football focus. And really, he just looked, he's, he's a fine third string center. But when you're getting to this part of the playoffs, you need to be healthy and you need to have quality players all around. And just the fact that they, losing Al Woods causes Brian Money or Money, I don't know how to say that guy's name. He almost played 20 snaps in that game. And like he's a, like yeah. he's a n- nothing so it's just areas like that it's just where trey flowers like we don't know what he is anymore well i mean think about the fact of of, of how banged up the seahawks were and their first round yeah. draft pick was nowhere to be found and i think that's part of the whole problem right so i mean yeah that that that, that gets into kind of looking at the offseason and, and yeah. nathan i don't know if this helps at all i'm not sitting here saying like up. Oh, they were out talented, so of course they're going to lose. I don't think that. I think the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are a. If this makes any sense. I think they're a better team than the Packers. Like I, I think that I would take them in a neutral field over the Packers. Um, you know, I think they've, they're, they're, they're what they have with Russell Wilson at quarterback and what they like. I think that they should win the game most of the time. Um, I just think it takes some special. I think it takes some special effort from special players. And it takes a game plan that that really like minimizes some of the holes that the Seahawks have. I also think that to to Jeff's point, um, it's a little bit of a paper mache roster. Like you get past the surface, and there's not much there. And so when when the injuries pile up, Seahawks look like a they look like a much 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 less capable team. Yeah, I mean, you know, you said look at the PFF grades, right? PFF uh, has. The CX with the 13th best overall grade 
and the Packers is the eighth best, right? Offense is 10th and eighth, but on defense is eighth and 18th, <clears throat> you know, with Seattle being the, the, the worst team there. So, you know, defensively, they definitely have some issues. I, I still think that we're probably overlooking how poor some of the players like Kyler Fackrell and some of the other guys that got on the field for the Green Bay defense are. Um, but, I mean, I think your point, too, about, you know, some of the just massive negatives, like I don't want to pick on Joey Hood too much because he's got a stress stress fracture and he's he's a warrior. Like it, it's a dumb football guy thing to say, but like the dude really does just play his ass off. So I'm not going to give him too much crap, but like, I mean, there's just no way around it. He was awful, right? So is, that's a fair that, point. Is he going to be, is it possible he's going to be shorter next year? Um <laughs> after the fracture you know playing on a stress fracture for that long i think it probably is actually possible that he's gonna be sure <laughs> hey uh i promised a while ago and i don't want to miss it we've got a, a super chat in here a question from mcneil webster we're probably not going to take a ton of questions tonight but but always really really appreciate that um support the pod and support the what we're doing here um the question from mcneil is would the hawks have gotten that stop on fourth down and he is referring to if the refs had said that Jimmy Graham was short on that, that catch. Um, you assume that the Packers would have gone for it. Um, would the Seahawks have made that stop? 0% chance. <laughs> 0%. I don't think 0%. Yeah. Like they stopped green Bay several times at the goal line. This is, Ultimately, Evan, this is Evan's world, Nathan. It's black. There, or there's it's not a chance in hell. There's not a, okay. If we're talking, very realistically, like literally, okay, maybe there's a 1.5% chance. They're not stopping them on fourth down. There's no way in hell. They have all the momentum. There's no way they're a stopping A fake them. thing that's not real. Isn't uh, that game like the worst case for momentum? Yeah, it is the worst case. In fact, I think Sunday was the absolute worst case for momentum. That's what, um, I, that's what I was thinking. No, but like they, they must have stopped Green Bay on the goal line like six times. I, yeah. I don't know why they wouldn't have stopped it. I mean, I, I would don't say, know they wouldn't have stopped I would say, a chance. given what they've done on third down that game, um, you know, I think that 75% chance that the, that the Packers pick it up, at least. That is very generous to the Seahawks. I don't defense. think so. I think Nathan's right. If, Fourth if they... and inches? Are you kidding me? No. I After think... they just got destroyed on a Devontae Adams. Man, you're so butthurt, dude. Like, like <laughs> Jadavian Clowney destroyed their offensive line on a number of occasions and blew up plays. If he happened to do it on that play, they would have stopped him. It absolutely was potentially something. Puna Ford even had a couple plays where he got into the backfield that way. So it just depends on what the play call was, but yeah, most likely they wouldn't have gotten it. That's much my take. They, you, you think most likely green Bay would not have. Sorry. Gotten it. <laughs> I'm thinking about from the Seahawks perspective, most likely green Bay would have gotten it. 75% chance that green Bay gets it. Yeah. And I, I'm actually even probably more favorable to Seahawks on that. I, I think it's maybe more 50, 50. Um, mm. I mean, they really like, uh, they they were good in short yardage situations. You know, the problem was that they had let Green Bay get down to these, like, you know, you know, first and goal from the one and the two, and Green Bay was able to pound it, you know, a few times and get it in. But, like, they really did stop them multiple times in short yardage situations. So, 
I don't think it's crazy at all to think that they could have stopped him there. Evan's so upset about all this. He's beside himself. This makes my night all by itself. Uh, <laughs> I'll just say, um, look, I mentioned it about that. We, we, since we're talking about the fourth down play, I don't know about you guys. To me, it seemed pretty clear that that was short. I, I know that even with the yellow line debacle of where the yellow line was drawn versus where the actual first down markers were, it seemed like a really bad spot. And I was pretty shocked that that they didn't respot that. And I was, I, I'd say, equally shocked that they called that they didn't that they didn't take away the touchdown. Um, like I didn't think he was in. The guy's helmet was was on yeah. the goal line. Like there was no indication the ball ever reached the goal line, and so I was clear on 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 social. I, I don't blame that at all for the reason the Seahawks lost. But like those seemed really weird to me, and I was curious if you guys like to what level of like you know incredulous incredulity did you have for for those calls. Spot spot calls are always so hard to overturn. And, you know, watching it live, I thought both of those were correct. The replays made it look a lot closer, I think. Uh, But in both cases, there were certain views that made it look like they clearly got it. Um, I thought the, the over, like the sky view on the touchdown made it look like Jones was clearly in. Um, and then the sideline, like from the ground on the sideline, it looked like I thought Jimmy Graham clearly made it. So, yeah, I mean, like between the spot foul, the spot, the spot, you know, challenges rarely getting overturned and there being, you know, enough for rest to like point to and say, oh yeah, we're just going to leave it. I I wasn't surprised on either. Jeff, do you have my back on this or no? Um, I didn't think he got in at the goal line, definitely on replay. And I thought he was short, but I don't think they had the ability to overturn them. And I think based on their rules and based on how they call things, it's got to be clear. And to me, it was short and I, I wasn't really that upset about it. I was much more upset about like the third and nine and some of the other things they did in the game. And really, realistically, if we're being fair, Jacob Hollister fumbled and Green Bay recovered it and they gave the ball to Seattle. So kind of evened out. Yeah, that wasn't a that wasn't a bad call. I mean, that was yeah, that was seemed a, like a pretty bad call. It seemed like the guy clearly recovered it. I think it looked like it was clearly a fumble on the field. It was definitely uh, a fumble. But like you could tell, I, I felt like it was obvious live, and I was surprised they whistled it dead. So they blew it there. And then I agree with Jeff that it looked pretty clear that. Green Bay had recovered it. So, uh, I mean, clear recovery is, is yeah. Uh, anyway, that's that's not yeah, the most interesting thing uh, debate, but but uh, that's surprising to me. Um, uh, let's. Do you guys want to talk more about the game, or can we shift gears to looking back at the season a little bit? Let's move on. <laughs> Evan is like he's on fire up there, man. He's so frustrated. I'm reliving this game. It's I, I'm sick of the same shit for the past five to six years. I'm sick of the same conversations. I'm sick of the same recaps. I'm sick of talking about the same ways to lose going on five to six years. We might as well just broadcast Real Hawk Talk from last year. We're talking about the same things every oh, single no. year. Last year was way worse. Are we? What did we talk about with the, the Cowboys game? Okay, yeah. Was it a you, slow start? Okay, okay. 99% of the time, 
99 percent of the time these black and white takes and then there's like literally last year that totally invalidates what you're saying wait 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 wait. they did have a slow start against dallas did they they were down like like, how many points did they even score in the game it was 24 22 Uh, and like in one of those with a touchdown on the last second like they they were were winning the whole game. game yeah let I mean, me check that. I don't know that that's correct. But even if they were leading, like, it was not like, I mean, it was not like they came out of the gates, like, came blazing out of the gates. Like, oh, that that's was different than, that's it different was, than, it that was 10 to 6. Them. It was 10 to 6 Cowboys at halftime. Yeah. Okay. What was the score? Yeah, the that's not. Quarters? At the end of two quor- quarters, it was 10 three to quarters. 6. Oh, three quarters? Uh, Seahawks were leading 14 to 13. They scored on like the last play of the third quarter. Whatever. I mean, my point being is like, it's not like they fell way behind, which is this, the, yes. the thing that Evan's saying yeah. that they fell way behind and then sure. they had zero their way back at the end in the fourth quarter, you know, charging back from 20 points behind. Like, that wasn't this game. No, sure. but they absolutely sure. slow played that game. Yeah, they, they blew that game. We, we've been over that a million times, but it wasn't the same game at all. Sure, sure. But they only scored six points in the first half, though. Okay. And they did it because they ran the ball repeatedly over and over again. My point is these slow starts are a pattern, and it's, yeah. and it's consistent in these playoff games. Does that make sense? In the games that they're losing? It. Are you saying that in all playoff games that they're slow starters? It seems like it, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at that. I, I think that definitely in the games they're losing, that's the case. I'm not sure that that's been the case in the ones they're winning. I mean, the Super Bowl being a good example. Sure. Even that game, like, <laughs> no, but like, they honestly. only won 43 to 8, guys. But. <laughs> Even that game, look, I mean, everyone wants to give Percy Harvin a lot of credit for that game. Well, that was a kick return, you know, coming out of the half, right? Like, if that, I, I don't know. They always, they dominated that one to wire to wire, but like, I felt that they, they could have capitalized on that more. Yeah. Like, right? Yeah, I know it's it's just it's it's just a different mindset. I mean, like when when you know a team wins forty three to eight, and we, you know you're critiquing like how they got there. It just seems odd to me. Um, no, I, I I'm not critiquing that game. Like they went out and they kicked ass. Like there's there's no like criticism of Pete or anything on that. But I mean, if you're talking like even there, I thought they had opportunities that they were not like that offense did not come out and just click right away. Right. Like where they have, they had a safety, they had a pick six right in the first half. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I get it. I mean, and I've complained. So I've complained. I stand on the other side of this just because I think we get a little bit one-sided in these, in these discussions, but I've definitely written all the way back to 2012 about the slow starts being an issue. And, and so I, I agree. I, I agree. The slow starts an issue. I don't think Pete emphasizes enough. I've actually, and this is not, I mean, I've actually talked about it with him and try to like understand what he's thinking about there. And he's just, you know, his point of view is uh, your words are like where your emphasis needs to be. And he believes that finishing is more important than starting. And so you can't weight everything equally. 
I I get it, and I get it. I get it overall, like where you're you're gonna put your your focus. And I think finishing has been a big part of how, you know, from his perspective, I think he would say that there's a lot of games that they found a way to climb into that other teams wouldn't have because they would have basically just hung it up. Um, I think there's a lot of teams that start out playoff games, especially, especially on the road and get run over and they're never in the game. And there's been a lot of times that his teams have climbed back into games. And instead of taking pride in that, I think he's faulted for it. Um, so that would be, I think, his point of view. But yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, I think it, I, I think that sadly that's their draft point of view. They don't hit on first rounders. They, they only believe on like seventh rounders. Oh God. <laughs> they don't like starting there either. I mean, I, I would say, you know, I guess we can close off on this, but like to me that the game was the same, like I don't know how much that bothers me. Uh I think you know, anytime you have the same quarterback and the same coach for a decade, the games are going to start to all look the same, right? You're going to have a coach, even if it's a coach you like, right? Like Andy Reid games, I love Andy Reid. Andy Reid games probably all look a lot alike, right? Um, and, you know, Sean Payton and Drew Brees games all kind of look a lot alike. Uh, I think the problem for me and what really, and this was after the fact, but what really really kind of irked me was you know i think it was the monday pete carroll press conference where he was talking about you know had a chance to do something extraordinary and just couldn't get it done and it frustrates me to know in that his his regret is that they couldn't finish the extraordinary thing and not that they had to do an extraordinary thing Mm -hmm. to win right that is what kills me that you know yeah pete carroll is pete carroll like we can talk about whether that's good or bad or indifferent or whatever, but like just, he's just so extremely Pete Carroll, right? Like just like take it down a notch. Just, you know, I don't know. You're talking about how words are important. Well, you know, if, if the big thing that you walk away with is that, Oh, you, you had a chance, you know, at the very end and not that you had to convert, you know, you got in a situation where you had to convert a fourth and 11 or you had to, you know, get a stop and, and get the ball back with under two minutes or whatever. That, I think, is what really, really killed me about this game. Yeah, I mean, the the glimmer of hope I have there is um, someone asked him about how different it looked with Russell Wilson in the second half versus the first half. And I don't remember the exact quote he had in the press conference, but he did get into, yeah, you do wonder why, you know, or something along the lines of, you know, why, why he, we can't just do that in the first half. Why he, he was kind of getting, I think he was talking a little bit more about the fact that Russell's allowed to run a little bit more in the second half is, is kind of the impression I got and that he was a little bit less constrained. And so I think that one of the challenges with Pete is I think he's an extreme delegator in certain cases. And I think that he lets his offensive coordinator in this case have a lot of leeway in terms of how these things work. And then he covers for them. Um, and I think he, I think he would be a little bit more open in terms of how I think he'd do other things totally wrong, but I, I think I, I see examples of like Schottenheimer and, and Bevel taking a lot of the first half to gather information. Like Bevel used to talk about how they'd call plays 
specifically in the script, not because they thought they were going to work, but because they wanted to know how the defense was going to play them when they had a certain personnel package out there or when they use certain motion or when they, you know, how they're going to cover it. And then they'd use that to build a script in the second half of how to attack those things. It's a specific approach. And, and I think to some extent you could look at it and say, Hey, we might not like it because we feel like they should start out faster, but maybe that's worked pretty well for them overall. They're winning more than they're losing. Um, but it feels weird. It feels, it feels like, it feels like Russell could do what he did in the second half of that game in the first half more often. I, well, I, I think is we all like, feel that way. How are other teams able to start fast? Like how are the, how are the chiefs able to, Chiefs you went know, down 24 nothing. Exactly. Like rattle off like 30 points in the well, second but that's quarter. that's what Jeff just said though. They didn't start off fast. Sure, sure. But I'm saying, like, why they, why does did. it have to be till the second half? Yeah. Like, couldn't it be the second quarter? Like that's the most infuriating part of the whole program. They almost need to start the game thinking they're down 21 nothing. Yeah, but I mean, I, this is why I, <laughs> I, I I pulled it back up. I'm looking at these playoff games. I mean, um, Against the Panthers, uh, Seahawks were in this 2014 season. Uh, they were up 14 to 10 at halftime. Detroit Lions, they were ahead 10 to 3 at halftime. Uh, and both of those games ended up blowouts, though, right? But we can't keep changing the yard marker. Either we're saying that they're that they're letting themselves fall way behind early, and that's the problem. Or if you guys are saying they're not scoring enough in the first half. I think, the, I think the complaint is that they start slow. And if you do this enough, sometimes you're going to end up in these situations, right? And, and you know, you talk about the Detroit game and the Carolina. Those are both wild card games, right? And then you get to the divisional round where suddenly these slow starts turn into massive early deficits, right? The, what is it, 113 to 10 or 20 or whatever it is that they've been outscored when they run up against these much better teams that are left in the playoffs. Well, and we also assume that this is a Pete thing. First playoff game for the Seahawks in Seattle was against the New Orleans Saints, which was one of the most power, like a reigning Super Bowl champs. They scored 24 points in the first half. They were up 24 to 20 in that game. And, and Matt Hasselback was throwing the ball all over the yard to Mike Williams and other people. So I just think there's a lot of variables and everybody wants it to be one thing because that's how we want it to be. It's simple to, to make it one thing and to focus all our attention there. I just think there's things that we don't know that could absolutely be factoring into it. Um, I a hundred percent agree that it would be nice if they started faster. Um, it just seems a little bit of a simplistic perspective to think it's, it's just the coach that doesn't want them to start faster. So they're not starting faster. Well, well, let's look at, let's look at the games though. In the divisional round, you have 2013 against the Falcons Falcons start 20 to zero in the first half. You move on to Packers Seahawks um, this year, obviously 21, three, I'm just jumping around because of the tabs Um, you have, the 2017 divisional game against the Falcons, Falcons 19, Seahawks 10 at the half. You have the 2016 game against the Panthers, where the Panthers are leading 31 to zero at halftime. You have 2015 against the Panthers, Seahawks lead by 14, or Seahawks are leading 14 to 10. So that's a difference. And then you have um, 2014 against the Saints. Uh, Seahawks 16, uh, Saints 0 in 2014. So seems to be a road game issue. 
Yeah, it also seems to be to some extent better teams winning issue. Like, be totally honest. Like the two, th- the, the Carolina Panthers that were up thirty-one nothing. I mean, I think that Seahawks team. A lot of us felt good about it, but that was a fifteen and one Panthers team, and the Seahawks had Justin Britt playing left guard and was a freaking turnstile in that game. Wait, was that out. not the year though that Russell Wilson like went off? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's also the year they they won 10-9 because Blair Walsh missed. A Russell field goal threw a pick six in the second drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and, and that Atlanta Falcons team, um, not the one that beat them in 2012, but the other year was like that team should have won the Super Bowl. They were significantly better than the Seahawks that year. And, like, and Brian, I want to be clear. I'm not saying I know what the issue, like the yeah. cause of the issue, is. I'm I'm not claiming to know that. All I know is I think it's a pattern. And it's problematic. I I think the concern for me is he Pete Carroll was asked that question in the press conference on Monday, and I think it, was, it might have been Joe Fan who asked the question. And Pete was like, "To be honest with you, I'm paraphrasing. He was like, I haven't been able to pinpoint it or something like that. That that is concerning to me." Well, I think one thing too that we're not touching on and haven't been talked a lot, but like you go through those scores, like the defense has given up a lot of points in those situations too. Mm-hmm. Right? There's criticism in the offense and who knows, uh, you know, we can all have our idea about what's going on there, but like, they're also just giving up points, right? They gave up 21 points in the first half against the Packers, right? Even if the offense had been clicking, right? That's still going to be a close game probably. So their slow starts are not that. I, I don't know. It, I, I don't know how, I don't know how it can't be the number one thing that Pete like goes into this offseason trying to fix. I mean, obviously they've got talent. They got to go through the like they're going to do all that stuff too. But like, if for every even if he's not going to change on fourth down decisions or passing more, like how can you just continue to watch yourself fall down like, yeah. behind the teams like this? I, I think we can wrap on that because I, I I agree. I mean, I agree that it should be something that they're working on and uh, that it's 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 something that the coaches should be looking for ways to to remedy um my main point evan was not that it's a problem but that it's we we have a tendency to remember the situations where it was a problem and sure where it wasn't and sure the fact of the matter is there's a mixed bag um yeah. you know in some of these results so um so we promised folks we were going to do some, some season recap we got to switch gears and do that because um, <laughs> you know for all i know evan's gonna like you know, turn into a pumpkin here in a second and, and sign off. So um, in order for us to do this with and get some coverage, we want to go over a few things. Uh, we're going to do a little bit more rapid fire. So I'm going to ask you guys uh, for some for some uh, names here. Um, you'll have long enough to think of your answer. And um, if you feel the need, feel free to add a sentence or two. But let's go pretty quickly through this so we can get through a number of these things. Sound good? Mm-hmm. All right. And we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go. Jeff, Nathan, Evan on these, and I'll. I'll every time. Them. Yes, every time. All right. Okay. Um, season MVP. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. Defensive Player of the Year. Quandre Diggs. I'm gonna wild card on this one. I'm gonna switch it up to KJ. I think it's wait, wait, hold on. That needs a couple more sentences. Please explain. <clears throat> uh 
he was the most consistent player throughout the year, I think. Um, Quandre had, I think, a big impact. Um, he was very good. He wasn't there for that many games. And, I mean, I've argued with people about whether that should matter because I was on the Quandre Diggs train pretty hard, and I still am. But I think uh, a little bit just to give KJ some love and a little bit just because of the consistency and, and just that he was there all the time. And I think he covered up for some mistakes that other players were making. I'll go KJ. Yeah, I was going to do Quandre Diggs, but my attention actually shifted to Shaquille Griffin. I think he took a major step forward this year. I think if Shaquille Griffin plays this year, like he did in 2018, which wasn't bad, but more mediocre, I think this could be one of the worst defenses in the NFL. You could probably argue they're close to that already but but i think they're significantly worse if if shaquille griffin doesn't take that massive step so i'm gonna go with shaq the pro football focus had him as like a top five corner um i would go with Javin Clowney. um I, you know i thought he you know he had some issues with injury but um uh even before he got injured and still wasn't sacking the quarterback i thought he was the most uh consistent force on that defense um, over the course of the year uh offensive player of the year let's uh go other than russell wilson since we have him as our mvp let's say he cannot win both awards tyler lockett yep tyler offensive mvp um yeah it's probably tyler lockett um, I go with Chris Carson. Lee Turner. Oh boy. I knew, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. And I was watching Nathan's reaction. I was waiting for it. Yeah. I thought, uh, um, I mean, Tyler Locke is, 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 uh, that's an easy one for me. I mean, I could, I, I probably would have gone there if you guys all hadn't gone there, but uh, <laughs> I, think, oh. I think Chris Carson, um, when Russell was struggling late in the year, I think Chris Carson was a big reason why they were able to to win some of those games. Um, Carolina in particular sticks out to me as a game that he was key to to pulling out. You know who had a low key very good year was was uh, Rashad Penny when he was healthy. He had no like a three game stretch. I don't remember asking that question, Evan. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, next uh, breakout player. Um, gotta be Shaq Griffin. He was mediocre to bad last year, and he was like a top ten corner, I think, on PFF this year. And he was a guy we just weren't sure could be that number one corner. I'm going him. There's a uh, a few options actually on this one. I think uh, I'll I'll be just a little different. I'll go DK. Are we going to do rookie of the year though? Is that on the list? Yeah, I don't know. Find out. It's it's. This is all. I think I made the list, but <laughs> I'm gonna you go contributed with contributed for sure. There, okay. are, there are things you will, you do not know that are on this list. All right, I'll go DK. I'm gonna go with Rasheem Green. Led the team in sacks this year. I think took a big step forward. I think I think he's a quality candidate. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's it's hands down DK. Um. I I mean, I thought what he did as a rookie receiver cost me a significant amount of money, um, <laughs> uh, nachos and, and margaritas, but, uh, 
yeah, he was, he's one of the best rookies the Seahawks have ever had, um, period. Uh, now that was Ricky, but I just think breakout wise, um, that was big. Uh, worst starting player. Ziggy Ansa. Oh, that hurts. Can I get a can I get a ruling on whether Joey Hunt counts as a starter? Uh, yes. Can wait a minute. Can I give me two? Give me original starter, and then you can have Joey as as a. <laughs> I'm gonna double whammy you then with Tedrick and Joey Hunt. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. You still want to make that talent argument, huh? Look. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Oh God. Oh. Um Tedrick's a really good option. I, I wanna say I thought you know who was underrated really bad this year? I thought Jerron Brown was really bad this year. Not a starter though. Isn't he the starting number three receiver? Well, he lost I, will, I will take that as a, an appropriate answer. It, it, it's on the border. Um, yeah, I, I think Jerron Brown. Man, I've got so many choices here. I will go in, in Nathan style. I'll go double double dip. Um, I thought Lano Hill was worse than Tedrick Thompson, um, which is hard to say, but I believe to be true. Um, at least, oh. We'll get to that later, but um, so that that'd be one, and then uh, I mean, Jamarco Jones at left tackle was really, <laughs> was really bad. That was a one game. That was maybe the worst one game performance from any starter. Um, but no, as far as a, a real starter goes, um, hmm. Yeah, I even knew the question was coming, and I don't have an answer prepared. <laughs> Uh, oh, Jamar Taylor. Easy. Oh, Jamar yeah. Well, none of you said the kicker you guys either. all missed that one. Come on. Thanks for saving it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, if, we, if we do that one, though, for, like, players who played at least, like, 14 or 15 games, right? Which – Oh, you picked kind of, Ziggy. Huh? None of you guys well, picked Ziggy. Well, I mean, you picked him, and, and so I wanted to spread the field. I think that's a very good choice. Did How many games did Ziggy play, though? He played, like, like 10, Two, maybe? Zero. Maybe. Felt like zero. <laughs> Didn't show up. But all right. So of the guys like that played, played one and a half games. If you want to, <laughs> of the guys who played basically the entire year, it's probably like, is it Trey? Yeah. Let's talk about yeah guys that guys that played all sixteen games, started all sixteen games, or, or were you know basically there fourteen or or more games. Jason Myers. <laughs> Jason yes. Myers. Yes. That's a good one. I think Trey's in the I think Trey's in the discussion. Yeah, I think your candidates are really what? Trey, McDougald, Fluker, and Myers? Are those the ones that are for the guys Fluker's who really played? Huh? Fluker's a good one. I think David Moore. Is it yeah, not? I don't know if he counts here. Wait, why is Jason Myers in this conversation? He's well, just the guys who played all year long. Because he's horrible. And he was not very good this year. He was fine. He was okay. Oh, God. Um, he was middle of the pack. All right. 
let's 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 move on to the next one. Um, what was the best play by a bad player this year for the Seahawks? The uh, Edric Thompson interception against the Rams. Mister Roboto. Canadian has answered the only appropriate answer I will take, but if anyone else wants to nominate one, I will at least, I'll at least listen. Didn't Ziggy have a strip sack in some game? I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. I don't remember which game. Maybe that. He did. I mean, you can pick any Rashad Penny run you want. Oh, please. <laughs> do do not slander the Seattle Seahawks starting running back like that. Completely inappropriate. I think that another candidate to consider is Jason Myers kicking the winning field goal against the 49ers. Damn straight, motherfuckers. Learn to trust him. Learn to trust him. Because guess what? Remember what the question was? Player. Guess what? Guess what, guys? He's He's sticking around. He's sticking around, and he's highly paid to do it. Evan forgot what the question was. Best play by a bad player. Uh, okay. What was your favorite game of the year? The uh, Seahawks Monday night win over San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> Evan. I'm trying to remember the games. Oh, no, 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 no. Rams game. Rams game. Just, I mean, I was there, so that. Yeah. All the way to the end. All the way to the very last second. I enjoyed that Steelers game winning in Pittsburgh. I really did. That was week two, I think. Yeah. That was Rashad Penny burst off a, a clean 50-yard run to seal the game. That was a good win. I don't even remember that. <laughs> that happened, but... I mean, I get it. Rashad Penny explodes for many big touchdown runs. Wasn't, wasn't so that the it. Eagles game? It was the Eagles game. That's why I don't know. I don't know if he did that. that happened in that game. game. I think maybe Rashad Penny exploded for five yards in that game or something. (laughs) But uh, I, yeah, for me, the 49ers game, man. I think that was a Philly game. I don't think that I have enjoyed a Seahawks regular season win as much as that game in many, many years. I really, really enjoyed that win. Um. What was your least favorite game of the year? I oh I Cardinals game. Yeah, yeah, this is easy. I think it's the Cardinals game. That was a demoralizing game. Black Sunday. I was wearing a garbage bag in our post game show. I was so upset. <laughs> I was so. That was one of the most frustrating games I've ever watched. Easily. Yeah. Yeah, I think. The Rams game at, at the Rams is, is up there. That was pretty pretty dreadful. Um, but it's hard to argue with that Arizona game. That was that was just, just for a win, I would say the Browns game was pretty miserable. Yes. Ooh, I kinda liked that game actually. Did Ugh. weren't they down? I thought a the bunch? offense actually looked really good almost that whole game. And then um yeah, that's the Disley injury game though. Yes. That was hard. Wait, I thought the Disley injury game was in Arizona. No, that was last year. That was last year. Oh. Different injury. Uh, What was your favorite play of the year? Favorite play of the year. Oh, Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett in the left corner end zone when he was sliding left. 
Yeah, that was, that was really, really cool. Like that I can't, classic. I can't beat that answer. I'll go the DK play to end the Philly game. Oh, nine fifty yard bomb. That was pretty mm. sweet. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, the locket one is hard to beat. Um, yeah. I liked. Uh... I liked uh, um, the Marshawn first touchdown against San Francisco. That was pretty, pretty, pretty memorable. I also, I loved the DK third down catch against Tampa. Um, that was pretty awesome. Uh, I thought, I'll give it to you, dude. I thought the Rashad Penny run against Philly was pretty sweet. Um, that was that was a nice. Would it shock any of you if Rashad Penny was starting running back week one, 2020? It would shock me, yes. It would shock you, really? Yeah. 100%. Yep. Probably going to be injured still. Yeah. You know how many trips to McDonald's he's making during rehab? Zero. He's a changed man. He. He's a nutritionist you now. Better, you better hope that's right because – it's not easy keeping your weight down when you can't move. Um, uh, all right. What was, what was the injury that hurt the Seahawks the most? Oh, wait, wait, wait. can we go, can we just give an honorable mention to that ridiculous? I don't even remember the game anymore, but it was like a back shoulder fade to DK down to like the 15 yard line. Was that, a, was that the Tampa game? I where think like, it was the Tampa game. That was the one I was got, talking like, about. Oh, I said the third down throw to DK against Tampa. Oh, I all right. I wasn't paying attention. I thought you meant that play action. Listen touchdown. to me, Nathan. Like you, you, as soon as I start talking, you're like, I got better things to do. I'm gonna start researching the internet, looking at like TikTok videos of dogs. I immediately went to find the play you were talking about. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was like I know there's a DK play in there somewhere. I really love. You know the the the, the secret that nobody realizes is that Nathan actually Nathan and I actually share very similar perspectives on like uh, beliefs on all these things, but somehow between our our brains and our mouths, it translates out to something totally different. So. <laughs> Um, all right. So, so what about the injury that you guys felt like hurt the Seahawks the most this year? Um, I'll go. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, I'll go with Will Disley and just, I thought the offense really was peaking when he was at his best. And I thought the fact that so many high leverage plays that impact of the season came down to Jacob Hollister. Uh, that one yard play at the goal line in San Francisco, there were drops in other games. I thought this was really what could have taken this offense over the top. Nathan. Um, I, I mean, this is probably the right answer. There are a couple others that are kind of in contention. I, I'll, I'll throw out Justin Britt. Um, he's not half the player Disley is, but playing with Hunt and then Hunt getting hurt and not having, you know, that, that whole depth situation. Um, I'll, I'll just say Britt to be different. Little baby fibula couldn't handle it, man. <laughs> I've got an underrated one for this one. I, I think it's Dwayne Brown towards the end of the year. If Dwayne Brown is healthy, 
for that Cardinals game and potentially that Niners game. I don't want to hurt you guys right now, but the Seahawks would probably be playing in the NFC Championship game, and I'll tell you why. They'd probably secure a bye. You know what's an interesting one with Dwayne Brown? Everyone focuses on the knee. He played most of the year with a torn bicep and and I think maybe even a pec injury or something like that. And we've just he managed through it, but they weren't sure he wasn't going to need surgery that was going to end his season, and he just kind of managed through it. So he played all year hurt. I think that's a really good call out because um, he is one of their best players uh, for sure. Uh, I think the Disley one as well. I don't know if people realize, but the Seahawks had scored 28, 27, 27, 30, 32 up until that game, the Cleveland game being the one they scored 32. And they just kind of fell off after that, to be honest. I mean, they scored, they scored 27 against Atlanta and they scored 40 in overtime against uh, Tampa, um, you know, and 27 in overtime against the 49ers. But I mean, their offense really did look, I think different. Um, I think we're going to find out that that was a pretty, pretty big loss for the team. Uh, all right. This is one that you should all love. What was the worst coaching move of the year? And you can make this about a specific decision they made or something broader. I have an answer for this one. Delay I'm of- shocked. Delay of game on the one yard line against the 49ers. That was really bad. Uh, I'm cutting out for a second. That is the only that is the only correct answer. Yeah. Play. Delay a game on the one. Nathan, you're like wigging out with your uh, your blue screen there. I oh whoops. Uh yeah, I, I'm uh I have glitched uh trying to pick one. Uh <laughs> Did you ever see that? Uh, there, uh, uh, there's you guys watch Billy on the Street or whatever? Oh yeah, yeah. Like one of the very first episodes, he walks up to some lady and just yells at her, "Name a woman!" And she's like, "What? <laughs> Name a woman! Name a woman! Name a woman! <laughs> Any woman!" Like, and I'm just screaming at the TV, like, "Name yourself!" Like, there's a million. This is me with what is the worst coaching decision? Uh, <laughs> In terms of like the in-game stuff, then yeah, I think the delay game is probably where it's at. Uh, but uh, the base defense decision mm. uh, was also real bad. Yep, I'm right. with you. I'm with you. Those are my two. The worst worst coaching moment was the delay game. Worst coaching overall was <laughs> this uh, attempt to try to make base defense work. I will say there's a special runner-up decision where the Seahawks were, I don't remember which game it was, they were in opponent territory. It was like fourth and one or two. And instead of going for it, the Seahawks like, or kicking the field goal, they like took a penalty and then decided to punt it. Do you guys remember, am I hallucinating? Do you remember this? I feel like that happened four times. (laughs) (laughs) There may have been a multitude. have to narrow it down a little bit. Yeah. well, there was the P concussion game. Oh, I forgot about that. And him wow. had warmups. <laughs> yeah, there. You know, one of the craziest things with all the terrible challenges Pete made this year is that his challenge he made in the Pittsburgh game on pass interference actually got overturned, and it was one of the least, like it was one of the ones I expected the least for them to change anything. They wouldn't have won that game if, <laughs> if he hadn't made that challenge. 
uh, uh, pass interference stuff was so weird this year. All right, we're making good progress here. Uh, what was the best acquisition the Seahawks made this year outside of the draft? I'll go Diggs. I called him the MVP, and because of how bad Tedrick and Lena were, it's got to be him. Um, all season long, or like the like ever since Diggs started playing, I was I've been all about Diggs this and Diggs that. I'm gonna uh, snub him again. I'll say, uh, I'll say Clowny. Very confidently, very confidently, say Clowny. The way you are right now, Evan, you look like you've got long locks. Like <laughs> he looks like Joey Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> you look like seventies Evan. I think Jason Myers was an excellent. Oh, oh God! Come on. Uh, on Dragon a serious Lord. note, I think Quandre Diggs was easily the biggest acquisition this year. I just want you to take a moment. And think about what this Seahawks defense looks like all year long if Tedrick Thompson stayed healthy and oh he was God. the starting free safety. All year long. I want you to just imagine that for a second. The pain you'd endure, the rants you would hear from Brian, the glass you would hear screaming again. That was last year. Yeah. I mean, it's horrible. It is a nightmare. And and so I think Diggs is a great choice for a lot of reasons. Um, I think an underrated one is Al Woods. Mm. Um, I thought he was actually a cost cost to value was uh, an outstanding get. Um, and I will forever have a bone to pick with him because he cost us some games, I think, late in the year with his uh, off-field ingestions. Um, all right. We've talked about this regularly about what you got wrong, but what was the thing you were most wrong about this season? I've got a good one if you want me to start, but go ahead. We'll go reverse. Go I was not worried about letting Justin Coleman walk. Um, I thought letting him walk was the correct decision for the value, you know, the, for, for the, for the contract he signed and what I thought he was going to sign at. And that ended up being a huge miscalculation on my part. Uh, even assume the Seahawks don't even go the whole base defense route. I, I think the drop down from how Justin Coleman played this year for the lions to Jamar Taylor or Ugo Mati is, is massive. I, I don't know if you guys have seen Justin Coleman play this year. He was excellent with the Lions. Absolutely total stud. So that one hurts. I, I think letting Justin Coleman walk was a major miscalculation for me. I'll go the offensive line. I thought it would be a real strength of the team this year. They jumped up to 18th in PFS pass protection grade last year. They had the whole unit pretty much coming back. A lot of us thought that they would be pretty stable on a team that had a lot of question marks. And the fact that they dropped back to, I think, 30th, even though they did show some pretty good depth at the end of the year where Haynes and Jamarco Jones looked pretty decent at guard. But I just thought that would be a real like thing that that team could count on. And the fact that they reverted back was really alarming and really disappointing. Uh, <clears throat> I, I kind of have two... Uh, the two players I was probably 
maybe the most down on uh, on the defense were KJ and Shaquille, uh, and they were two of the best players on defense. Um, KJ especially, I, I didn't think they should bring him back. Um, so that one, considering I, I said he was the defensive player of the year for the Seahawks, um, was probably the one I was the most run on. Uh, I've got to start with what Evan's answer should have been and what he was most wrong about, which was Jason Myers. Um, but now I'll turn the attention back to myself. Uh, I, I was so interestingly on the Justin Coleman one, I got to say something there, like from a process perspective, I don't think I would do something differently. The guy had been nothing for most of his career. He had a standout season for the Seahawks and then got massive money. I don't know if I would have felt good about the Seahawks investing in that. In fact, I didn't feel good last year. So I don't feel wrong about the process on that one. I definitely, you know, feel wrong now because it seems like he's going to be one of the top uh, slot corners for a while. But um, I think that's an interesting topic. I uh, clearly was most wrong about who was going to get the second most targets on the team. Um, (laughs) We've gone over that. Um, So that's, that's a pretty glaring one uh, and how off I was there. And um I think the other one that I'd call out is I just did not believe there was any way that I, I assume the Seahawks had to see how bad Tedrick Thompson and Delano Hill were, and we're going to do everything in their power to uh, find a way for Marquise Blair to get on the field. And it became pretty clear. It was the opposite. Like that I was just off on um, and still confounded by a little bit, but um, definitely was, was really wrong about that. I'll, uh, I'll throw you a bone on one. I, I don't think it was the thing I was the most wrong about um, because I don't think that they corrected as much as – I don't think the run-pass balance shifted like crazy. Uh, they didn't they, they didn't change who they were, but they definitely did pass more than last year. Last year was you know a pretty significant, I think, anomaly for them. So that was one where we argued about it, and I, I was wrong on that one. I'll take an L on that one. A little bit. I'll, I'll take another L. Uh, I'll take a lowercase L. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, just to add to it, if you remember me, Evan, and Brian, the day the clowny trade happened, we thought this front four and front seven in general had the potential to be dominant. And there was no game basically where that was true. Oh, my God. That's a great one. The front seven. We talked about the front seven. I think another one I'll take an L on is I thought Bobby was going to be Bobby. He was not Bobby. It might explain a lot. You mean the injury stuff? Yeah, that kind of explains some things and the usage. I hope it, so. It explains some stuff. I My thing with Bobby is, like, he was just wrong a lot. Like, he just wasn't where he was supposed to be. And it wasn't uh, he was slow to get where he was going. It was uh, you're going the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. We're shifting gears a little bit. Um, Evan, can we get you for another 10 minutes, 15 minutes? You good? I'm fully awake. This rum and coke is juicing through my veins. I'm drinking too. So uh, give me your best media member, Seahawks media member, and your least favorite Seahawks media member on the year. You're actually – I was joking when I suggested that one. (laughs) Oh, we're doing it. It's going to be recorded, and you expect this to show up on Twitter. Oh, God. Are we actually doing the least favorite one? Oh, yeah. Does it have to be someone who covers the team? Or Would could you be... like me to start? Yes, actually. Make yeah. me more comfortable. comfortable? 
so 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 best for me this year i we've all been a big fan of joe i think joe's done done a really joe fans done a really great job i think um he was super strong um i would give you could do roses and thorns if you prefer but like uh uh i thought jake heaps stacy rost um and tom wassell i think had a great show this year um like I really, really enjoyed listening to their show. I think they have great chemistry and they covered the team in really interesting ways. So I really enjoyed that. Um, worst, Matt Calkins. Uh, I mean, I think he just trolls the fan base and I, I don't know what, what he's adding. So um, Matt, I, I hope, you know, I know you admitted you've got some demons you've been working through this year. So I don't, I don't uh, take pleasure in that part, but I hope, uh, I hope you find your voice in a more productive and, and, uh, you know, additive way to, uh, to what it means to be a Seahawks, uh, writer. And there's one out there that I'll leave for you guys. I'll, one of you don't say it. I will, okay. but, uh, I'm going to leave some unsaid. Okay. I'll, I'll go next. Um, I'm going to go Joe also. And I thought Joe really stood out in a couple ways. I know it's hard to cover a team like that where PR controls a lot and you only get like access to certain players every day. So a lot of articles I read are just like the same quotes that go out from whenever press conference happens. And I call that a herd. Like everyone gets the same quotes. You hear, see the same stories. What I liked about Joe is just from the first day he started on the beat, like he, his observations at training camp just were different than everyone else's. He had notes that no one else really had. If you read a bunch of the other guys, all the quotes were the same. All the notes were the same. They talked about the same things Pete did. It's almost like a PR staff. Joe, I thought, found unique angles. He was a lot like Shield when he came over here, where he just found different angles, different questions to ask. So I thought he did a really good job coming from a job where he was essentially like the PR man of the Niners. So I thought he did a really good job in a tough transition. I understand how hard that is. Um, the worst, I don't know if this counts as media, but every time like I watched a Seahawks game the last couple of years, the Brock and Salk show is something I really looked forward to every day. And I thought their Monday shows were especially good. Not just the Pete Carroll show, just the way they recap the games. And I thought the show that they transitioned to, Dan and Gallant, not to take shots at anyone, but I just thought there was a significant drop-off just for my entertainment value. I didn't think they covered the stories well. I, I thought the Pete's interviews were especially bad. And that's something I really look forward to, like every game, especially after a loss, you want to hear the tough questions get asked and you want to hear kind of what went wrong. And Brock and Salk still do that really well on their podcast. And just how much I missed that show this year really stood out. And not that I know Golan came over from a different city and still trying to learn, but just the quality of the stuff, it just wasn't up to what I was used to. I don't want to seem like I'm taking shots, but I found that really disappointing all year. Nathan, it's your Sorry, turn, buddy. Yeah, I mean, uh, Joe Fan is the obvious answer, but I've uh, gone out of my way to be a little different on everything so far, so I'll keep it up. Uh, I'm going to say Bob Kondota is far and away the number one uh, uh, CX media member. He is funny. He is informative. But what really sets him apart is his refusal to get a blue check mark and allow us to continue to try to sneak fake news past people. And <laughs> I am just going to go out on a limb and say that Bob's in on these jokes. And there's a reason why Bob hasn't gotten that blue check mark yet. And so thank you, Bob you make Seahawks Twitter just a little bit more fun. Uh, for worst, uh, I, I, I don't, 
I mean, I, I, Matt Calkins is probably mine. You know, it's one thing to have takes and we all say outlandish stuff and I've definitely, you know, gone out of my way to rile people up. But <laughs> to be just intentionally antagonistic and negative all of the time, um, I don't get a lot of value out of that. Yeah, for uh, most impressive beat reporter, I think this year, or I guess slash radio host, um, I don't know how to say her last name, but Stacy is it Roast or Rost. Rost? Rost, I think, is phenomenal. She did these like post game um, recaps that were super super informative. Um, I think she's an up and comer, somebody to watch in, in Seattle sports media. I think she'll be hosting her own um, radio show soon one day. I, th- I think she has that type of talent and and really sports um, uh, sports acumen, I guess you could say. Uh, in terms of and of course, Joe, you're a stud. I, I, I think Joe is, I, I totally agree on the Joe fan stuff. I, I think he's got that shield Capadia vibe where it's just like, he takes a different angle. You read something in his stories that you will not read anywhere else. I think um, he's great at analysis. I, I'm really impressed with Joe's first year. I'm, I'm praying to God that he does not leave us anytime soon. Any like the, anybody like the traders of, you know, Danny or shield or anybody like that. So uh, great year, Joe. Uh, in terms of the worst, Again, I don't want to see like I'm taking shots here, but I'm not the biggest fan of G Scott. Oh, <laughs> G Scott doesn't really seem like he adds anything. It just seems like he's a mouthpiece for players and isn't really providing anything uh, outside of that. I don't know if you consider him a Seahawks beat reporter. I don't even, I don't, is he still with 710? I don't even know if. He's still with 710, but um, I don't think G. Scott adds much value. Uh, And the runner-up, I will say, is Greg Bell. Greg, I've respected a lot of your history, and I think uh, you're a pretty good dude, but you seem intentionally antagonistic on Twitter. Um, I, I know I'm an idiot, and I pretty much do the same thing on Twitter, but it just... It, it feels like he takes shots a lot that are unnecessary. And, and, and I feel like he's very closed minded about a lot of things. And to me, that is actually one of the most discouraging things I, I look or I, anything I notice in any sort of leader or anybody with a platform. The number one thing I always look for, even or in, even in like a new job, the first question I ask of a new boss is, you know, do you adapt? Like, do you, are you willing to change your mind and change your opinion when new evidence presents itself? Like how often do you change your mind? I, th- I think that reveals a lot about a lot about leaders and people. Does that so change their mind about you in that moment or. <laughs> uh, sometimes. Yes, yeah. but that's okay. Um, someone, so... someone wrote Emmett Brown wrote G is like the Evan of media. Only I like Evan. <laughs> I actually, I'm not going to take that as a compliment, to be quite honest, uh, but I appreciate the sentiment. (laughs) I will, I will say, you know, the obvious thing that we didn't mention, I mean, softy is a favorite uh, for all of us as well. Um, I think that kind of goes without saying. So I think we're we're pointing out some other people, but um, knowing how important that 9.30 AM Pete Carroll show is Monday mornings, you know, you know, I, I know 
I know Danny and, and Paul, it's tough to come up with new chemistry, you know, and, and figure that out. Um, the first year Brock and Salk struggled with that their first year and they found it. But um, I just would at least hope that they'd start getting a little more consistent in asking about injuries and some of the like newsworthy things that like every week are interesting to, to find out about. Um, so that's my hope. Um, all I'll right. I'll throw something out there too on this one real quick. Yeah. I think with a, with like not everyone's my cup of tea and like I've gone out of my way to dunk on Greg Bell before. We don't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff probably. Um, although I'm sure he has, doesn't have a, much of an idea of who I even am but um I, at least Greg Bell is authentic um you know G is authentic um a lot of guys I think are authentic and the the ones that I don't like you know like when I you know say Matt Calkins is my least favorite I don't think Matt Calkins believes the things he says mm-hmm. um and that's what drives me nuts so you know everyone's different everyone's got their own thing I drive a lot of people insane I'm way too negative for a lot of people I get it I'm not your cup of tea that's fine but like, I, I hope at least people don't think that I'm just going out of my way to like, just say crap, you know, which I think some people who I have named are. You're consistent. I am consistent. At least yeah. give me the- what, what, what about the times you try and sneak fake news through Twitter and get all the Seahawks beat reporters really angry at you and, and you know, all that stuff. I don't think moments. I've ever caused Seahawk beat reporters to <laughs> uh take issue really okay oh my gosh i think i got <laughs> i'm like the principal that gets like all the complaints sent to his office about this this crew here so we are i 100 percent guarantee that if this was a question asked other places and it was broadened to anyone that talk covers the seahawks in any way shape or form each one of us would probably show up on that somebody's yeah. list so uh uh there's no no one uh outside of the area of criticism so all right let's let's shift our attention as we close up the show i've got a few questions about next year and they're, they're pretty quick um similar to what we were just talking about so um jeff we'll start with you thing that you most realistically hope will improve next year pass rush nathan uh coverage pass coverage i would say just the defense in general i actually don't think they're going to stick with the four three base i i really don't think so i think this was uh i i don't see i don't know it's just a gut thing i, I don't think they stick with it yeah i'm, I'm pass rush because it was so bad this year the chances that it's going to be that bad again next year i think are pretty low did you guys catch pete's um when he because pete was asked directly if they were gonna uh about the base defense and he was like oh you know it was interesting he he, and he actually had a really really interesting tidbit on that saying that you know early in the season teams are running a lot of 11 out of me which is you know three wide receiver um when they would run base and that as the year went on they saw less and less of it and teams actually did other things which is what you which is a little counterintuitive considering they were keeping you know three linebackers on the field um and then so somebody followed it up with, well, so are you going to, uh, does that mean that you're going to stick with it? And he's like, no, <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we're going to look at it. So <laughs> I think it's fair to say the base is going to, the base defense thing is going to change. I think that they, to me, the base defense is going to go the way of the 57% rush rate uh, of last season. I think that they went a direction thinking they were going to maximize their, their, 
talent. And I think they found out that that's not viable. Um, I did think they, I wouldn't be surprised they find out that there's a place that they can use that um, in their approach, but it's not, not to the level that they did this year. Uh, all right. Thing that you have the least hope will improve next year. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know where this is going. You're starting us off there, Jeffy boy. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the obvious one to Evan and Nathan. So least confident will change next year. Um, I'll say fourth down decisions. I'll say that Pete's makes some changes, but I still think he still goes purely on football instincts. And the fact that his son is running game management decisions to me, that's I'm least confident in that. I think fourth down is going to end up being a little bit like the, again, like you were saying, Brian, with like the 2018 to 2019 run pass balance. I think that they're going to, I think it's still going to be bad, but I, I would be surprised if they're bottom five again next year. But um, uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's the run pass balance. I, they're not going to come out and be a fundamentally different offense next year. They're going to, they're going to do all the same stuff. I don't think the offensive line is going to get any better in pass protection. Uh, I'll just give you a quick recap of the last five years, 2015 per pro football focus ranked 30th, 2016, 32nd, 2017, 30th, 2018. They made a jump first year under Solari 18th this year, back to 30th. I think they're a bottom three, bottom four pass blocking unit next year. Yeah, I think, I think pass protection is my one that I have the least confidence in. And I will go more specific to oh, actually, God, I don't think that's true. I guess, oh man, this is going to get into the off season stuff. So much hinges on what they decide to do with Jermaine Fetty. Um, like I, I have to get into it for a second. I mean, if they sign George Fant to be their starting right tackle and they have Phil Haynes and Jamarco Jones playing at guard, or they figure out how to, you know, replace like there's a path to where this could be a much better pass protection team without them having to change the way they approach things. Um, not to mention Will Disley getting back and him being a big part of that. I just have this feeling they're going to resign a Fetty and that the whole, and, and they're going to keep Brit. And I think that just, do you know where Ifedi ranked out of 100 eligible tackles in 2019? So minimum 20% snap count for Pro Football Focus. Where do you think he ranked in pass pro? I'm not going to ask you to guess the grade, but out of 100 eligible tackles, where did he rank exclusively in pass pro? Brian, what's your guess? Uh, 95th. Jeff? 71. Nathan. 69th. 67. That was, that was, that was close. Uh, he did not have a great year. I've been seeing a lot of stats on Twitter saying he was uh, the second best pass blocker of the playoffs of eight of eight teams and like 10 eligible tackles. Stop with the narrative. Jermaine Effetti is not good. Does he actually not pay oh, him? Oh, no, you're doing it wrong. He is great. Someone should pay him a lot you, of money. Do you realize there's a lot of people, it. though, Brian? Ben Baldwin, I'm going to call you out. You're dumb about this. You're dumb. <laughs> Jermaine Ifedi is not good. 
He is not good. There's a clear history here. Paying him any amount of money to be employed by the Seattle Seahawks is a complete systematic failure. End of story. All right. The, so I can't quite go with pass pro because I talked myself out of it like that that's the least hope. Jason Myers being a good kicker is the thing I'm least hopeful about improving next year. Um, I think he is what he is. Uh, what is your top off-season, <laughs> top off-season priority? Um, I know I said pass rush earlier, but I'm going to go with a different angle. I'm going to say get another starting cornerback. And I think Trey Flowers needs to be put in a role that more suits his game, sort of what Akeem King did this year, where he's kind of the fill-in if someone gets injured. I think that they need to – and we've, we've heard the debate of pass rush versus coverage all, all the time. I think their coverage isn't good enough, and getting a legit corner beside Shaq I think would go a long way for taking this defense forward. Nathan? Get a, get a nickel. Nickel corner. Yeah. Evan? I think you need to start worrying about a tackle to supersede um, – Dwayne Brown. I'm a little worried. I have this weird hunch he could be an early retire. I, I guess he's like 33 or 34. So he's he's not <laughs> he's not young, but I could see him retiring like in the next year or two. And I think tackle is a big concern. Yeah, for me it's pass rush. Um I definitely would I'd love to improve on coverage um as well. But uh yeah, I'd like to see pass rush. All right, two more questions, and then we'll kind of wrap up. Um, I think this one, I know what you guys are going to say when I ask anyway, what's, who is the player most in danger of decline, um, that, that we might be counting on next year, but maybe we shouldn't be. I'll start. I think the obvious answer there is Bobby. Um, I think he was not the player he's been his career this year, and he's going to have to show that that's an aberration and not a trend. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was actually going back and looking at this because when I was uh, on my trade Bobby kick, I was looking at linebacker aging curves, and uh, there's a pretty clear drop off from 29 to third or from 28 to 29, which is what Bobby just did, and then there's a huge drop off from 29 to 30. I think I had that right. Maybe it was 28. Maybe it was 29 to 30 and 30 to 31. Either way. Bobby's right on that cliff where a lot of linebackers, even former all pro linebackers really take a dive and he already showed some signs of slowing down. So I think he is, I mean, yeah, I'll go with Bobby. I go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. I need more time to think. (laughs) Uh, I think it could be Dwayne Brown. Oh, I really bad. do. I'm a little concerned about his age. I know Andrew Whitworth was playing to like Are age you just 39. getting these names from the chat? No. <laughs> just... Why? Are people saying Dwayne Brown? Yeah, someone said uh, Dwayne Brown. <laughs> uh, remember the time, 92. I agree with you. I do <laughs> think it's uh, Dwayne Brown, <laughs> most likely. Okay, um, yeah, you guys took the answers I would have thought of. Uh, so I'll go out a little differently. I'll go McDougald. I don't personally think he should be back necessarily. I would probably just throw Blair in instead and go. Th- but wow, like you don't think like they should cut him or not just be a starter? Oh, I think they should make him. I think he should be the third safety. Hmm. All right. 
besides Jermaine Effetti, player you'd be most disappointed if they brought back? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Does that have to be a big name or could it be like a... Any player. I'll go, I mean, a simple one. Michael Kendricks. Doubt it'll Why? happen. Wouldn't make much sense. I'll, I'll go... Go... <laughs> go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> I'll go Brandon Jackson. I'm just tired oh. of that guy. He yeah. just represents everything that's been wrong with this roster the last three years. He's fine. I like the bottom of the line guy. I'm just tired of him. Does the coaches like him? I just want someone who's at least has upside to play in that spot. I've got my answer for this. Ziggy Ansa. <laughs> See, you're looking at the chat. <laughs> it's just a wall of Ziggy. Oh, my God. It is. <laughs> that is – I need to, like, close this tab. <laughs> um, it's communicating with you. I'll like, give you my oh. reasoning. We paid him $10 million to do jack shit this year. Ziggy is older he is injury prone to hell paying him a single penny to be employed by the Seattle Seahawks next year would be a monumental failure. Do not, do not rely on him for anything. I am fine with the risk, this, the the risk they took this past year in acquiring him, but let's not make that mistake a second time. Nathan. Uh, Can I cheat and say that I don't want to see him give Carson an extension? Nope. Okay. It's a good answer. Uh, then I will <laughs> steal one from the chat and say Tedrick. Is he a free agent? No, but I don't want him to come back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, like, I mean, I, I, I didn't hear anyone say Jerron Brown. I think that would have also been a good, uh, a good nomination. What about uh, Ed Dixon a, or Mike? Yeah, I was gonna Mike say Dixon. Pod, um, you know, is I think is a decent is a decent one. There's there's a few in there. All right, last last question. Uh, who's a player that is under the radar now that people should be watching for next year? Could be an impact player next year. Me to go first. Go ahead. I said this six weeks ago. It's a Brian favorite, and I wonder if we're all going to end up with the same one. But I said a couple weeks ago when Josh was talking about a rookie class, I said Phil Haynes could be a starting guard next year, and. I thought Upati's a free agent. He looked pretty good. He didn't play in the preseason, but he's a guy the coaches were really high on. He's actually a good pass protector. He's actually technically sound. I think he looked pretty good in spot duty this week, not making one practice snap. If Upati's not back, I think that's your left guard next year. Good answer. I'm going to go Jamarco Jones. I think he's your starting left guard next year. I think he beats out Phil Haynes and ends up being, I'll go even ballsier. I think Jamarco Jones is going to be a top 10 guard in the NFL. I really believe that. I think we slept on him because of that injury in his first or second year. And every opportunity he had to play this year at the guard spot, not at left tackle. He was excellent. Excellent. He outperformed Fluker at right guard. And Upati at left guard multiple times. I think, uh, I think he's, I think he's just starting left guard next year. John Ursua. Oh, good, yeah. good one. He, he was my follow up. That's a good one. That is a good one. John Ursua. John Ursua. 
<laughs> I'd be careful. That will make it make the rounds. Like, no, no, we're gonna be having Ben, you're dumb on this one in our mentions for years. I think. Oh That's my god. Yeah, that those are all good ones. I like Phil Haynes for me. I, I've I've been standing that guy. You know, I've taken all sorts of slings and arrows on that, and I'm not I'm not moving off that position. He looked good in that game, guys. He looked really good. Could I add a an additional sleeper? Yeah. I think LJ Collier might be. Oh, on, you're reading the chat. <laughs> no, I'm not. I am not. You are reading I am the not. Chat. I am not reading the chat. This is the truth. This is the truth. LJ Collier, Collier, maybe 25 by week two of next year. But you know what? I'm not ready to give up hope on him. It's just been one year. Yes, it was an awful year. I don't think he played 25 snaps equal to his age next year. But I'm not ready to give up on him. I'm not. Oh Another one I was thinking in the chat it. is calling you out for, for taking their ideas and copying them. Like, get an original idea, Evan. That's what we pay you the big bucks for. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think BBK could be a... Uh... That was in the chat, too. Okay, no. every player's in the fucking <laughs> chat. <laughs> I don't mind Travis Homer for that one. Hmm. I don't know if I can go there. I don't think he's going to play much. I don't think he's going to beat out Chris Carson for the third running back spot. <laughs> Uh, the chat actually, the chat's got a good one on here that we haven't mentioned. Uh, Shakim, Shakim could, uh, I think Shakim yeah. showed some stuff, especially if he gets into a workout program and just puts a little bit of weight on. Um, I think Shakim could be a dude that has some situational pass rush abilities. Shakim, move a little south to an in and out. I'll hook you up. Not that kind of weight, yeah. Not that weight. I, I think, uh, I think Amadi is a guy that, that could make a jump. Um, for sure. And I think that, that, uh, Cody Barton, I think that guy's gonna be a starting linebacker next year. So, um, you know, we have to hope he makes a jump, but, uh, yeah, I mean, those are some interesting players. I think that's a good place to kind of leave it. We're gonna, we're gonna do an off season show. Um, we're gonna do shows all through the off season. Um, we'll probably change from weekly to a, a little less frequent, but, um, we'll, we'll be back to go over the free agent class i think we'll go over positions of priority i think we've got to have a show where the whole show is dedicated to the coaching staff and you know not just pete but offensive coordinator defensive coordinator special teams you know break it down because i know there's a lot of passion around that um and obviously the draft's gonna be coming up the combine's gonna be coming up there's just so much that we'll we'll be talking about and the big news for folks, if they're not aware, this is this is up there with one of the most pivotal off seasons in Seahawks franchise history. The amount of cap space this team has, this is going to be there's going to be some big choices to make. But this team could end up with first, second, third most cap space in the NFL, like effectively. Um, you know the way this goes. Only got 42 guys under contract. There's going to be a lot of turnover potentially. And then you've got a fair amount of draft picks. You've got, I think, four draft picks in the top three rounds, and you've got six in the top four rounds. So there's a lot of potential for, and then there's always John making trades. I mean, the guy makes trades every year. So there's just a lot of potential for this team to turn over. And, and uh, you know, I think, I think there'll be a lot to talk about. So thank you all. I know we got some super chats we didn't get to. Apologies for that. Really, really appreciate um, everyone that joined tonight. We went a little long, not, not surprising. 
Uh, and uh, if you haven't already, subscribe, click like, all that stuff really helps. We're growing the channel. You'll get you'll get notified when we get a new event, when new pods coming out. Um, also, uh, join up at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Uh, we're, we're growing and growing and growing. Really appreciate it. And uh, uh, love to have you added there. So on that note, um, we're going to say goodbye for now. And uh, go anybody playing the 49ers.